Take your copy of the Scriptures and open with me to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. That song we just sang is a new hymn to us, and uh, we learned it during these three months. It's become something of a theme song for us as it has been playing at the beginning of every worship service to lead us into worship, and what a fitting hymn that has been, has it not? Where would we be without a sovereign God? He is gracious, abundant in His kindness, wise in His every action towards us. And we thank Him. I want to draw attention particularly to the attitude of thanksgiving this morning. So let me draw your attention to a passage that I trust is familiar to you. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Let me start reading in verse 3, and I will read through verse 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, You all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this reflection of gratitude by the Apostle and his commitment to prayer. It is a reminder to us of our need to cultivate gratitude and to rely in dependence on you. These months have surely taught us that we are not sovereign. But these months have also taught us that we can rest, we can be content, we can be at peace, because the one who is sovereign is trustworthy, faithful, righteous, everlasting, and good. Oh, you are so good. And Father, we rejoice this morning in part because we are regathered. 
But we see this as not an end. But in many ways we see this as a beginning. A reminder of the task that you have placed before us. A reminder of the things for which we have been equipped. A reminder of the power of the Spirit of God who is within us and how He is using us. A reminder of the essentials of what life and ministry and church and fellowship and worship are about. A reminder of the essentials of the gospel. A reminder of your grace to us. And so, Father, would we from this day forward be pointed more directly Use our time more precisely. Use our opportunities more effectively. Grow more adamantly because of what you have done for us in the past. We've seen your faithfulness. Make us reliant on your faithfulness. We commend our time now to you in the word. Would you guide us and direct us? Would you give us understanding? Would you give me clarity? Would you give us gratitude? Would you give us trust? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes it is hard to give thanks for the circumstances and the people of our past. That's not just true of the past three months. It is true of life in general. Illness and unexpected deaths and financial hardship and poverty and broken and even destroyed relationships and abuse of too many kinds and disappointed dreams all combine to make us reticent to give thanks for the past. Frankly, it just at times hurts too much. Sometimes it's scary to look into the future. In fact, the last few weeks have made many of us hesitant to look too far into the future for fear of what the future might bring. Do you see a safer, more carefree, hopeful future for your children and grandchildren today? No, neither do I, at least not on this earth. How will we respond to past hardships? How will we respond to anticipated hardships? How will we deal with the past that we might rather not have had? And how will we deal with a future which we are dreading? How will we give thanks for the past? How will we trust God for the future? And, and what's the relationship between gratitude in the past and trust for the future? And John Piper is helpful in this. In his book, Future Grace, he writes this. When gratitude for God's past grace is strong, the message is sent that God is supremely trustworthy in the future because of what He has done in the past. In this way, faith is strengthened by a lively gratitude for God's past trustworthiness. Gratitude for bygone grace is constantly saying to faith, Be strong and do not doubt that God will be as gracious in the future as I know He has been in the past. We don't know 
what the future will bring. But we know that the one who has been sovereign over the past will be sovereign over the future. He was trustworthy yesterday. He will be trustworthy tomorrow. And to help us develop that theme, I want us to look at this passage in Philippians chapter 1. And here we will find this simple truth. For past grace, thank God. For future grace, ask God. For your past, for the past three months, for the past three years, for the past three decades, for the past six or eight decades, thank God. For the future three months, for the next three years, for the next 30 years or 60 years, ask God. And by asking God, trust God. This morning I want to particularly help us to focus on thanksgiving and then to demonstrate trust. And we're going to do that by looking at Paul's pattern for prayer as well as his specific prayer for the Philippians and then encouraging ourselves along the way by our own circumstances. Let us begin by thanking God for the past. I'm using this passage this morning to guide us into gratitude, particularly for the past three months. But we can and should be using these verses to not just look back at the last three months, but we need to be looking backwards at the totality of our lives to stimulate gratitude in every area of our lives. And notice how the apostle begins in verse 3. I thank my God. That verb, thank, is the verb that controls verses 3 through 6. And then Paul will build on the idea of thanksgiving even more in verses 7 and 8 before giving his prayer in verses 9 to 11. But what controls these first verses, verses 3 through 8, is this verb, thank. And that verb is a present tense, which means that the apostle is constantly giving thanks. He's repeatedly giving thanks. He is habitually giving the thanks for the Philippians. The Philippians are never far from his mind. That Paul is consumed about thinking about the Philippians is also indicated by the all-inclusive words in these verses. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer for you. I thank God, or excuse me, for God is my witness, verse 8, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All, all, every, always. The Philippians are never far from his mind. For what, for what does Paul thank God for the Philippians? That's the answer that is given to us in verses 3 through 6 and is going to guide our thinking and our movement into gratitude these days. First, thank God for the people of the past. Thank God for the people of the past. Can I even say thank God for the people and circumstances of your past? Philippians is... 
probably the apostles most affectionate, loving, tender, personal letter. It's as if, it's as if the apostle has just left them and, 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 and a week later he's writing back with these longings for them. But, but it has been almost ten years since he has seen the Philippians. Why does he remember them with, with such fondness? In Acts chapter 16, we find the Apostle's introduction to the Philippians. In fact, I, I was reading this chapter, not re- even related to the study this week, but just in my devotional time, I was reading this chapter this week. And it is striking how the Apostle, throughout this chapter, is wanting to make his way to various places in Asia Minor, and the Spirit of God keeps telling him, Nope, can't go there. Well, how about this? Nope, can't go there. Well, how about if we go over? Nope, can't go there. And, and we don't know how the Spirit of God is saying that, but the Spirit of God is repeatedly, constantly throughout this chapter saying, no, you can't go there. And then, verse 10, a vision appears to Paul in the night. Actually, verse 9. A man of Macedonia standing, appealing to him, saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, verse 10, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. And then he arrives in Macedonia, he arrives in Philippi, and ordinarily he would go to the synagogue and and interact with the people who are in the synagogue, but there are so few believers, so few people who are interested in the gospel that there's not even a group to go to the synagogue to to teach. So he has to go outside the gates of Philippi. To find a group of people. And notice what he says in verse 13. On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside. Where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled. Not even a man is in sight. Not only no one in the synagogue. But not even a man in sight. It's just a small group of women who are having a prayer meeting. And it is on that basis that the church in Philippi is established. And immediately there is a convert. Lydia is there. She responds to the things that are spoken of by the Apostle Paul. She comes to trust in Jesus Christ and immediately opens her house to the Apostle and the others who are with him. They continue preaching. The gospel continues expanding throughout uh, the city of Philippi. Verse 16, they're going to a place of prayer. A slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit. She cries out. Paul throws the spirit of God, or spirit, the, the, the spirit of Satan out of her. And those who were controlling her lose all their income that's coming through her. They get mad at the apostle and they throw him in jail. And this is, this is that famous scene that you're familiar with. He is arrested, he's beaten, he's thrown into jail. And what do you do when you're in jail, in bondage, when you're locked down with chains? What do you do? You sing. Not exactly what most of us might be inclined to do, but that's what the Apostle and Silas were doing. About midnight, verse 25, they were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening. An earthquake comes, and the jailer thinks everybody is going to escape, and he's about to kill himself, and the Apostle says, stop, we're all here. And he is so struck by the message of the apostle that he and his entire household come to faith. When Paul thinks about Philippi, he thinks about 
He thinks about Lydia. He thinks about a small group of women that grew into a significant church. He thinks about being in prison and and a jailer coming to Christ. And then he thinks about a church that is a poverty-stricken church that gave to him liberally and freely. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us that he even wanted them to stop giving because they were poverty-stricken and they begged him to give to their to the, to the ministry of the apostle and Jerusalem. Why did Paul remember them so fondly? Because of the amazing work of God's grace that he had seen in them and through them. That the apostle remembered these people is also not accidental. Notice what he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When he says, all my remembrance, it has the idea that he has been actively, intentionally, purposefully working to remember them. He has, he has been actively engaged in the process of remembering. He is constantly going back in his mind to recall the work of the, of the Philippians for the sake of the gospel. He's working to remember the past with gratitude. My friends, here's a good lesson for us. Do not be afraid or angry about your past, but do frame your past in the context of God's grace to you. Remember the past through the lens of God's kind actions towards you. What are the circumstances? What are the people of the last three months that have particularly shaped you? Can you remember those circumstances with gratitude? Listen, friends, hard days does not mean bad days. And hard days can be remembered with gratitude. As with the Philippian church, sometimes we gain perspective only with time. And so Paul, even ten years later, is able to still give thanks for the Philippians, for the circumstances of their lives, for his interaction with them. As you think back over the course of your life, as you go back ten years, or perhaps decades beyond that, what are the circumstances and people of your distant past that God has shaped, has used to shape you and mold you into the man or the woman of God that you are? Remember, the apostle also says to the Thessalonians to give thanks in always, to give thanks in every circumstance, at every time. Have you been doing that these three months? Have you been cultivating gratitude? I know many of you have. Have you done that for the hardest things of your life? What is the most difficult circumstance that you have faced? Can you give thanks for what God has done in you through that hardship? I give thanks to God in all my remembrance of you. Thank God for the people and circumstances of the past. Thank God, verse 4, with intentional, joyful prayer. Paul is constantly remembering the Philippians 
And he is constantly praying for them. Notice verse 4. He's not only thanking God, verse 3, in all his remembrance of them, but he is always offering prayer. And he is offering prayer in my every prayer for you all. This is Paul's way to say, I'm just, I'm always praying for you. I'm always thinking of you. I'm always bringing you before the throne of God. In fact, he is doing for them what he will compel them to do in chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, along with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he tells them in 4, 6, always pray. And here he sets the table for that and says, I'm doing that very thing for you. I'm always praying. The word he uses here for prayer is not just a general word for prayer, but it's a word that indicates he is interceding on behalf of others. He is particularly praying for others. He is remembering their needs. He is recognizing their needs. He is anticipating their needs, and he is praying for those things. But he is not only praying intentionally and purposefully for the needs of the Philippians, but notice that he also says, Offering prayer with joy. The ability to pray for the Philippians, the responsibility to pray for the Philippians was a joy to the apostle. It was his delight to pray for them. It was no hardship for him. It was no, it was no burden to him. It was a delight to him to pray for the Philippians. That he was positioned to pray for others and for them, and, and for him to pray to God for them was his joy. He understood that he was God's agent to pray on their behalf, and that was his delight. To pray with joy doesn't mean that we pray only for people with no problems. Oh, it's a joy to pray for you because you don't have any problems. No, it's a joy to pray for you in every circumstance. In every place, might we even say, particularly because you have problems. It is my joy to come alongside you when you are in trial and when you are burdened and pray with you and pray for you. One commentator has said about this verse, intercessory prayer sometimes involves disappointment and pain. Isn't that true? Sometimes you pray for people and it's painful. Their circumstances are painful. Their lack of responsiveness is painful. God's seeming quietness is painful. And Paul says, in those circumstances, I am praying with joy. The circumstances of the Philippians... Their poverty, their lack of physical provision, trials and suffering that they're experiencing in the church didn't keep Paul from, from joyful praying. And Paul's own circumstances didn't keep him from joyful praying. Remember where Paul is when he writes this letter? He's in prison in Rome. Yeah, he's under house arrest. I mean, he's not in a dungeon. He's not, he's not handcuffed, if you will. He's not chained. 
But friends, he's in prison. He's in lockdown mode. He's not free to go where he wants. And he says, it is with joy that I pray. It is my delight to pray. How do we pray with joy? Joy is possible because it is rooted in God and a recognition of His grace to us. Remember, he's thinking back 10 years and he's seen the trajectory of God's grace repeatedly in the Philippians' lives. He's seen how God's grace has sustained them and he can pray with joy. Are you praying Are you praying with joy? Are you praying with joy for others? Thank God with intentional, purposeful, joyful prayer. Whoops. Thank God for the gospel. Notice verse 5. He's always praying in view of your participation in the gospel. That little phrase, in view of, we might translate or give the sense of it this way, because of. So he is always praying with joy because of their participation in the gospel. The particular reason why the apostle was praying with joy was was because of the partnership, because of the fellowship, because of the participation they had had together in the gospel work. So that word, uh, participation is actually a, a word that means fellowship. That's typically the way it is translated in the New Testament. And Paul says, we have been partnering together in the progress of the gospel. Well, how had they, how had they been participating in the gospel? Notice he says, from the very first day, from, from the first day they heard the gospel, they have been partnering with him. Well, how did they, how did they participate? Well, from the first day, they were housing Paul. They were taking care of Paul's needs. They were providing for him. Multiple times through, through his ministry, they had sent him gifts. Chapter 4, verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So repeatedly, Paul, let us help you. Let us minister to you. Let us serve you so that the gospel can expand, so that the gospel can go out. So they're, they're constantly supporting Paul. They're providing for Paul. They're evangelizing with Paul. They're praying for Paul. 119. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. They pray with Paul. They evangelize with Paul. They support Paul. And Paul gives thanks because they are gospel committed people. They're gospel committed people. There are three subtle reminders for us here. Give thanks for the work of the gospel in your own life. Yes, you may have had hardship. Can you imagine the hardship of your life, whether it's the last three months or the last 30 years? Can you imagine that hardship without Jesus Christ? Can you imagine the hopelessness without Jesus Christ. And if you can't, just go home this afternoon sometime and turn on the news. And in about two minutes, you'll see the hopelessness. Oh, friends, 
The gospel is what grounds us. The gospel is what gives us hope. The gospel is what, what gives us confidence. Give thanks for the gospel work in your own life. Frankly, that's, that's why we're going to come at the end of the service and remember Jesus Christ through communion because that is our hope. Remember Jesus Christ crucified, risen, coming again. There's another reminder here, and that is give thanks for the privilege of ministering the gospel to others. Just just glance down to the bottom of this page, chapter 1, verse 12. The apostle says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances, his imprisonment, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Because Paul's imprisoned, the gospel's expanding, and that's all he cares about. And God is using him to, to minister the gospel to others. Friends, God has not only saved us if we are in Christ, but he's also made us ambassadors of him. What an amazing privilege And these days particularly, in so many ways, He's giving us opportunity to tell people, don't go there, that's hopeless. Go here to Jesus Christ. That's where your hope is. And give thanks as well that this ministry of the Gospel is a partnership. We're not alone in the process. Paul couldn't do it alone. And neither could the Philippians. It took both the Philippians and Paul working together. And that's exactly what God provided for them. And it's what He has also provided for us working together for the sake of the gospel. Thank God for the gospel and its many-faceted work. Thank God for completed sanctification. Verse 6, Because I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, that's the point of salvation, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the blessings of the gospel is that it frees us from sin and it matures us. And, and this is, this is Paul's expression of gratitude for the Philippians in verse six that, that he is confident that as God has saved them, that God will continue to mature them in that salvation even until Jesus Christ comes to take them home to be with him and then they will be completely matured in Christ. Paul's confidence is not in their own righteous abilities, but Paul's confidence is in God's ability to mature them. He will say something similar in chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God will work in you. God will mature you. God will do it, and He will bring it to completion. And when you see Him in glory, you will be perfect and redeemed. He will finish. God always finishes what He begins. And He will finish our salvation when we trust Christ. If our salvation has begun, it will be finished. No one drops out. He will get us to the day of Christ Jesus. The day when He returns. The day when He reigns.
This is an encouragement to us. Oh, this is an encouragement to us because it means that even in trials, and the Philippians had trials, and one or two of you have had trials in your life too, or maybe more than that, that when we have trials, God is not losing us. His power hasn't ceased. He has not become incompetent. His power has not been overwhelmed. He is sufficient. He will always be sufficient. He will see us through. Thank God for completing and completed sanctification. Thank God for fellowship. Paul says in verse 7, it's only right for me to feel this way about you. Feel what way about them? Back to verse 3, it's right for me to feel gratitude for you. It's right for me to give thanks to God for you. Why? Because of um, your partnership with me. Because I have you in my heart since, since both in my imprisonment and then not only in my imprisonment, but when I had to defend the gospel, and when the gospel was confirmed, when the gospel was seen by those who were testing me to be true, when they examined my life, when they examined your lives, when they saw the impact of the gospel in our lives, it was confirmed and it demonstrates, verse 7, that you all are partakers of grace with me. It's right for me to feel gratitude for you because we are sharers in the work of this gospel together. We are partnered together. He was alone in Rome, but he wasn't alone in Rome. Friends, there are seasons of life, even outside of COVID-19, when we feel alone. It seems that, that, that only we are faithful. It seems that no one else cares. It seems that, that all have deserted us. We get the Elijah complex, right? So no one is left, only me. Friend, if you are in Christ, you are not alone. First, you have our Savior, which means you have infinite fellowship and infinite provision. And then, friends, you have an army of believers alongside you. An army that's gone ahead into glory already. And an army of believers that walks with you. Yes, you may be physically distant, but you are not alone. Oh, friends, let's give thanks for the ones that God has given to minister the Scriptures to us, to pray with us, to exhort us, and to share with us. Now, this has just, frankly, been one of my personal themes through these months. And just seeing God's grace, God's provision for God caring for His people repeatedly, over and over and over in these months. It feels like we're alone, but we're not alone. We're in fellowship together, working together. Thank God for fellowship. Thank God for holy longings. In verse 7, 
Paul says, I have you in my heart. In verse 8, he says, God is my witness. That's just his way of saying, this is really true. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul has a yearning for the Philippians, an eagerness for them. Frankly, he's, he's just homesick for them. And, but the affection was not just because of his personal connection with them. It was because of his connection with them that is in Christ. It is because Christ loves them that he loves them. It is because Christ has bonded them together in relationship that he wants to beat with them. His heart beats with them. One, one writer says it this way. His pulse beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ. He just, he just aches to be with them. And hasn't that been our longing these months? You see the picture on the computer screen, the little, you know, about a two-inch picture on Zoom. And you just say, I just want to embrace. And you see each other this morning and you go, Ah, here. We're still together. But even there's... There's a longing, isn't there? This is the weirdest congregation I've ever preached to. <laughs> I need a hug. Amen, brother. <laughs> we do. We need a hug. Isn't it sweet to have that affection? Wouldn't we be a sad lot if we could say, you know, we haven't seen each other for three months, um, really hasn't bothered me that much. That aching in our, in our hearts is a grace from God. It tells us how He has tied us together. Not just because we're common from the same place in life, but because we have a common Savior. And He's knit us together inseparably. I want to thank God for the past. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been thanking God, oh friend, we need to be thanking God. He has provided so much. And we've just, we've just skimmed over His provision. We not only need to thank Him for the past, we also need to trust Him for the future. And you're thinking, okay, how's He going to do this? He's got 11 minutes I'm going to do this because I've already preached this passage. And if you want to hear it, go back to January. (laughs) Every January, I do a message on scripture, prayer, and evangelism. And the message on prayer this year was in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. So let me just remind you very, very quickly of how the apostle encourages us to ask God. And in asking God, what are we really saying? When I ask God for something, what am I really saying? I'm saying, I trust you. That if I need this, you will give it to me. And if I don't need it, you will withhold it from me. You will do what is best for me. So every time we pray, it's a, it's a demonstration of our trust of Him. And particularly in these verses, in verses 9 to 11, His focus is on one thing. It is to trust God for love that the love that is in the body of the Philippians and between Paul and the Philippians 
will remain. And, and, and we find that emphasis on unity and unified love all through this letter, but it's particularly his focus in verses 9 to 11. He tells us at the beginning of verse 9, trust God for abounding love. So the Philippians loved each other. The Philippians loved Paul. He loved them. And he says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Regina and I have been married for 33 years. And in 33 years, I've never had this happen. Where I've gone to her and said, I just want you to know I love you. And I've never heard her say this. Oh, you tell me that all the time. I know you can stop. You never have to tell me ever again. You don't need to worry. I know, I know you love me. I know you tell me you love me more than you loved me yesterday and the day we got married, but, but you don't ever have to tell me. You don't ever need to worry about growing in your love for me. You can, you can stop loving me now. I am full up of love. I don't need any more. Regine's never told me that, and my suspicion is most wives have never told their husbands that. Friends, whatever love we have, it needs to abound still more and more. And we have love in this body for each other. Let us not tire of that love. Let us ask God for more abounding love. There is always room to grow in love. Trust God for discerning love. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So the love needs to be demonstrated in real knowledge and in all discernment. That is, it needs to be not a sentimental love, but it needs to be informed by the truth. It needs to be perceptive to moral and spiritual needs. It needs us... This love needs us to love people the way they need us to love them, not the way they want us to love them. And and you know that distinction, right? So are we watching for the spiritual needs of others? Are we being committed to love them according to what they spiritually need in the moment? Are we being discerning in the way we love folks? Trust God for a vital love Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We need to be approving excellent things, giving love through things that are life-giving and life-sustaining, the kinds of things that are sincere, genuine, pure, morally, ethical, and blameless, not creating stumbling blocks for others. Are we helping others to life in Christ? Is is our love leading them to a vital love of Christ, an authentic, genuine love of Christ? Trust and ask God for enduring love until, he says, the day of Christ. Are we persistent in our love? Are we, are we asking God for endurance to love? Because, frankly, I know that I am a little bit more difficult to love than some of y'all. Some of y'all are really easy to love, and then there's me. But you do it anyway. That's persistent love. That's gracious love. That's enduring love. And are we praying, God, will you give us the ability to love those who are a little bit more difficult to love? Is our love for others secure? Or does our love for others falter? Ask God for enduring love. Ask and trust God for fruitful love. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. This is a love that is spiritually profitable. It produces the kinds of works that God has designed us to do when He saved us. Are we working for the spiritual progress of others? Are we working for our own spiritual progress? Are we, are we pursuing the, the, the fruit of the Spirit? Or are we engaging in the deeds of the flesh? Trust God. Ask God for a fruitful love. 
trust God for a God-glorifying love. Verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. He is the end and the purpose of everything we do. And He always will be. Chapter 2, God highly exalted Him, bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, verse 11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about Him. COVID-19, it's all about Him. Your suffering, it's all about Him. The graces that you have received, it's all about Him. The love that you know, it's all about Him. Give thanks and trust. It's all about Him. This morning we have already prayed in gratitude. We've already prayed in trust. Let us again pray with thanksgiving. Let us again pray in trust. Would you bow with me? Our Father, it has already been said well this morning. How you have sustained us these months, 13 weeks since we've been together. And we thank you for your multiplied provisions for us. And apart from all the physical provision, we thank thank you for the spiritual provision. We thank you for how you have kept us united. We thank you for how you have kept us in the faith. We thank you for the Spirit of God who has continued to guide us. We thank you for the Word that has continued to instruct us. We thank you for the bond of fellowship that we have continued to enjoy. We thank you for the ministry that we have continued to practice. You've been kind. We thank you. And we ask that you would continue to grant us the favor that you have demonstrated to us these past months, these past decades. You have graced us. And that exhibition of your grace stimulates us to trust you in the future. Would you continue to be kind to us? Would you continue to sustain us? Would you continue to expand our ministry? Would you continue to give us hope, confidence in you, love for one another, and love for a world that is so confused without you? Would you grant us these things? We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.